Good morning and welcome to Sunday Morning with Love and Action. I am Ken Tuck. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your Sunday is going well and I hope you're ready to dive into the Word of God this morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning as we continue our series on the armor of God. Last week was the first one and we're going to jump right into it today and then just go from there and we'll see how far we get today. But before we go into God's Word, Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father God, we God, we just thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy, your grace, your favor, your provision, your healing. God, thank you for everything you do. Thank you most of all for your son Jesus and for the salvation that you give us, Lord. Lord, you freely give us salvation, forgiveness of sin, so we can live with you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for our sins paying the price that we could not pay. Thank you for rising up from the grave on the third day to give all who believe victory over death, victory over Satan, victory over sin, and eternal life with you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Lord, I pray if anyone's listening today who has not given their lives to you, God, I pray today is the day they'll give their life to you. Pray today is the day that they will call out upon your name, Jesus, and be saved. Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us now, guide us and direct us, and may we be doers of your word, Father God, and not hearers only. Father, we again praise you and we love you. Thank you for your word. Just bless this time, I pray, God, and be glorified. In Jesus' holy name we pray in. Amen. If you listened last week, I hope you took the time to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, as we read last week, but just to take more time to read it and to meditate on it and to pray about it and just let God start showing you how he has prepared us. He's given us everything that we need to fight against our enemy who is Satan and be victorious. And remember, we fight this battle out of victory. Jesus has already given us the victory. And so we read Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20 last week and we'll be reading each of those verses again this week but not all at one time. We read that, again, this is the Apostle Paul writing this, and we read as as he concludes his exhortations with instructions for all of us as Christians, his imagery that he uses is a sustained portrayal of the Christian life as spiritual warfare, using the resources that our Lord Jesus Christ has given us. And last week, we talked about how Paul was around Roman soldiers often. And we concluded that God must have given him this use of imagery by looking at the soldiers' weapons. And God was showing Paul and therefore showing us that we have weapons in this fight. We're not just standing here and walking through this life without any weapons whatsoever. God has equipped us with everything, as he always does, everything that we need to fight and not only to fight, but to win. This week, we are going to start to break down the full armor of God into three subsections. One is the Lord's strength. Two, standing firm. Three, being consistent in prayer. So let's look at that first, the Lord's strength. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. Paul introduces the armor by focusing on the strength that it gives. He writes to be strong because Christians cannot stand on our own strength. We can't have some kind of superpowers that we can use to defeat the enemy. We must rely upon the strength of the Lord's own might, which he supplies chiefly through prayer. And we're going to read about and talk about prayer more in a little while. But Paul is saying, we're in a battle and we can't win this on our own strength. We need God. We need his resources. And so he starts describing them and he tells us to be strong. So we need to be strong. And God's power is the greatest power there is. And we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places? That power, that power of God is what we can stand strong in, what we can be strong in. His power that raised Jesus from the dead, conquered death, conquered the grave. That power lives in us if we are believers. His power is in us. And so we need to call upon that power. We need to pull upon that power and be strong in God's power. In Ephesians 6, chapter 18 We read, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. So Paul is telling us we need to be strong in the power of God. And we pull upon that power of God through prayer. Prayer is such an important weapon. And we're going to talk more about that. The Greek word for the whole armor, we're talking about the whole armor of God. The Greek word is panoplia, which means complete equipment of a fully armed soldier, consisting of both shields and weapons, like those described in verse 14, 16, and 17. Paul's description here draws primarily on Old Testament allusions, yet terms also overlap very well with Roman weaponry, and especially the terms for the large door-shaped shield and the short stabbing sword. Visible portrayals of such weaponry can be found on numerous military reliefs throughout the Roman Empire. So we see that he's talking about the whole armor of God. God's not just telling us about one or two weapons that he gives us. We're talking about the complete equipment of a fully armed soldier, a soldier of God, praise God. And we see that that he tells us that we can be strong in the power of God, so we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And that word schemes exposes Satan's deceitfulness. His weapons, deceitfulness, is a major weapon of our enemy. He's the father of lies, so he's going to lie, he's going to be deceitful, and God gives us the power to stand against that, to be firm against Satan's attacks. In verse 12, we, we see where Paul writes the list of spiritual rulers and authorities and cosmic powers, and he gives a sobering glimpse uh, into the devil's allies there. So these are spiritual forces of evil who are exceedingly powerful, 
and their exercise of cosmic powers over this present darkness. Now, one thing the American church seems to struggle with talking about Satan and talking about the enemy. I don't really understand why, because Jesus talks about the enemy a lot in the Gospels. And when you go overseas in other nations, you see Christians who are very aware of the evil that's around them. And that's something that I I don't know if we think we're too spiritual to talk about that or what, but we're obviously not too spiritual. Nobody is too spiritual. But we have to understand we truly have an enemy who's wanting to drag souls to hell. And when we come to Jesus Christ and become a child of God, Satan hates us even more at that point. And he's going to unload all cannons, fire all missiles at us to distract us, to get us off course. So we, we have to talk about these forces of evil that we're fighting against. It's not some Hollywood movie that we're talking about where superheroes come to save the day. There, there's no superheroes in this, in this fight. There is one God, and he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's the one who reigns supreme. He's the one who defeats the enemy, and he's the one who has the resources, and he gives them freely to us. We just have to use it because we read here what Paul writes about the enemy, and you can see the enemy is powerful, but yet scripture makes it very clear that the enemy is no match for the Lord because we see in 2 Colossians 2.15 that the, the Lord, he, he's disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Jesus has defeated Satan. But yet, Satan is going to come after his children every single time to try to throw us off our focus, try to take our focus off of Jesus. But we see that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. The name of Jesus is powerful. We got to understand that. We got to know that. There is no other name more powerful than the name of Jesus. There is no other name by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is powerful. And let me share an example with you to show you the power of the name of Jesus. We were in Haiti on a mission trip. And when we first got there, I heard these drums off in a distance. And I, I asked our brother Pierre, who we were there with, with Give Us Hope Mission, I said, what What are those drums? They are aggravating. He says they're voodoo worship drums. I said, okay. And so those drums, it's like they just kept going and going. By about the third night, I'd had enough of hearing that. I knew it was voodoo worship at that point because Pierre informed me about that. And so I knew that those people were worshiping the devil. Those drums just, just really it irritated me and Martha. And so as we were leaving the mission house, we were staying at another house just, just down the road. When we were leaving, it was at night, and I just said, in the name of Jesus, shut up. Now, there's no way that the people could hear me because they were way off. But at that moment, right at that moment, those drums stopped, and we didn't hear them again. That's the power of the name of Jesus that the enemy heard, and at his name, they had to stop. They could not continue. And that's just an example of the power of the name of Jesus against Satan, against his forces. So there's no name more powerful than Jesus. Since we know we have a powerful enemy, 
God gives us th- these resources. And we see in verse 13, that sentence starts off with therefore, because our enemies are superhuman spiritual force and they are powerful. So we cannot rely upon mere human resources, but we must take up the whole armor of God. And that's what Paul is telling us there. Well, God is telling us that through the apostle Paul and the divine armor and the sword of the spirit, which belongs to the Lord himself. As we, we read in Isaiah chapter 11, verses four and five, and also Isaiah 59, 17, you can go back and reference those. These weapons, this armor are made available to believers and God's armor allows us to stand against the schemes of the devil. As we read in verse 11, verse 13, he tells us God's armor allows us to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, we can withstand and we can stand firm. Paul portrays Christians as soldiers in the battle line, holding fast against the enemy's charge, the evil day. What and when is that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul identifies this whole age as evil days. Yet the outbreak of satanic onslaught against Christ's people, it ebbs and flows throughout this era until the final day when the Lord of hosts will return in power and great glory, as we read in Luke chapter 21, verse 27, to rend the heavens and rescue his people forever. These days, it's not hard to see that they're evil. It's not hard to see that, that we live in a fallen world, and there's a lot of evil out there, and it seems to grow more each day. But when we have on the full armor of God, we can stand against the schemes of the devil, and we can withstand in these evil days. So we talked about the Lord's strength. Now let's go to the second subsection, standing firm. And we just read about standing firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's starting in verse 14 there. And in 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So standing firm, verses 14 through 17, we see Paul reiterates the charge to stand in the face of the dreaded spiritual enemies because the Lord has not left his people defenseless. We have the complete armor of God from head to foot, which consists of the belt, the breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, and a sword. And these are metaphors for the spiritual resources given to us in Christ. Namely, the truth, verse 14, the gospel, verse 15, faith, verse 16, salvation, and the word of God, verse 17. Truth, gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God. These are aspects of God and our Messiah's own character, as depicted in Isaiah, with which Christians are now equipped. So see these aspects of God, these aspects of our Messiah, they're aspects of his own character and his work. And now we can be equipped with that. How awesome is that? (laughs) Again, God doesn't leave anything undone. He gives us everything we need for everything in this life and for eternity. 
God uses this armor as well. We can read in Isaiah as well as in Ephesians, uh, Isaiah 59, 17, where we see that the Lord, he saw no one to deliver his oppressed people. So he put on his own breastplate of righteousness and helmet of salvation before coming in wrath against his enemies. And we can also read about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So we see God using his own armor. Since it's God's armor, he knows how to use it. And so he gives it to us and he tells us how to use it as well. In verse 14, with the simple order to stand, Paul urges Ephesians, therefore he urges us to withstand the enemy and do not give in to fear. That's another weapon of the enemy, fear. We cannot give in to fear because if we do, we get defeated quickly. We cannot give in to fear. We need to know who our God is and know how powerful he is and know who we are in him. And when we do, then we don't have to live in fear. So when the enemy tries to bring fear to us, we can resist and tell him, no, that ain't going to happen. I trust my God. He's got me and he's already defeated you. So let's quickly look at these weapons that God gives us. The belt of truth. The belt, it plays a crucial role in the effectiveness of a soldier's armor. And when, when you look at a soldier's armor, it was the belt that held the scabbard and without which there would be no place to put a sword. In addition, the Nelson Study Bible says from the belt hung strips of leather to protect the lower body. The Matthew Henry commentary says the belt girds on or secures all the other pieces of our armor. Truth should cleave to us as a belt cleaves to our body. What is truth? John 17, 17, sanctify, which means set apart for special use. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. So what are the dangers of not wearing our belt of truth? Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We live in a world that teaches truth is whatever we make it that good and bad are relative and there are no absolute truths, only equal valid opinions. That's what the world teaches about truth. But the Bible teaches that truth is God's word, that good and bad are defined by him, and that there are eternal and unchangeable absolutes uninfluenced by opinion. Paul wrote to the Romans telling them not to be conformed to this world, Part of that means not buying into a world system that says absolute truth is a myth. As Christians, we know both that there is truth and there is absolute truth, and we've got to stand firm on that. Don't get led astray by the world. There are truths and there are absolute truths, and we go to the word of God for that. The breastplate of righteousness, what purpose does that serve? Well, briefly, let's look at that. The breastplate was a central part of the Roman soldier's armor, It provided protection for the torso, which contains, obviously, vital organs like the heart and lungs and so forth. Without a breastplate, a soldier would be pretty much asking for death, as any attack could instantly be fatal. But with a sturdy breastplate, the very same attacks become ineffective and useless. As blows, they just glance off the armor. So how do we wear the breastplate of righteousness? An in-depth concordant study of all the scriptures concerning righteousness and 
There are 301 uses of that term in the New King James Version. It reveals that the servants of God in the Bible who had righteousness all had it because they followed God's way. Though it may seem like a sweeping statement, it is through a continuing and dedicated adherence to both the letter and the spirit of God's law that we can defend ourselves with his righteousness. So we need to understand the commands that he gives us. And that's one reason why we teach the 50 commands of Christ at Love and Action, because if we're going to obey his commands, we need to know what they are, don't we? So it's vital that we study them. So now to apply it, we need to take some time for introspection. What commands of God do you find yourself most likely to compromise? You need to ask yourself that question. We can't expect the breastplate to stay securely fastened unless we remain true to his commands. Once you identify your weaker areas, then resolve to keep from compromising in them. Pick one area at a time. Don't try to do everything at once. Pick one area at a time. Pay special attention to it. Think about when do I compromise? What prompts it? Is it because of certain conditions, environments, or company that I'm, the people I'm with? Use this information to decrease, decrease your chances of being tempted and to compromise. Start doing that today and ask God to help you. Pray, ask God to help you because he will. He will help you. In verse 15, we see about the shoes. Believers should always be ready to proclaim the gospel. That's what Paul is talking about there in verse 15, saying, having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, we have to be ready to proclaim his gospel always, and we must proclaim the gospel. Verse 16, the shield of faith, burning arrows. They were designed, obviously, to destroy wooden shields and other defenses. The shield of faith is actually able to extinguish the devil's attacks. So we see about the fiery darts, be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows. Some translations will say fiery darts, but the flaming arrows of the evil one. So this shield of faith is vital, as is every part of this armor of God we're talking about. But the shield of faith is different. Paul tells us that the shield is something we must take up, something we are required to raise. Just strapping it on our arm, that won't do any good if we don't make an effort to hold it aloft and use it. So what is faith? We find the definition in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here is the Bible definition of faith that clears up some common misconceptions. If faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, then this has far-reaching implications. Substance is tangible. And evidence is solid proof. Faith is, by definition, not some hazy emotion without any grounding in reality. It is the irrefutable truth. Faith is real. It has substance and it has evidence. We need to apply it. Our faith is founded on the promises of God. And how familiar are you with these promises? That's again, that's why we've got to be in his word. We have to know his promises. And when we know them and we read about them, and we see them lived out in our lives, our faith builds, our faith gets stronger. If our knowledge of and trust in God's promises are unsteady, then we will be too. So claim these promises, keep up your shield, and be in the Word of God to know what these promises are so we can keep that shield of faith raised up to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, we read about the helmet of salvation. 
So what does salvation have to do with a helmet? Good question. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8 through 11. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. We can receive tremendous hope and comfort by focusing on the incredible sacrifice that Jesus gave to save us. And the amazing kingdom, that's our goal. We need to focus on the kingdom of God as well. That's the goal of our salvation. This hope works like a helmet to protect our minds from the discouragement and despair of this world. So you see how the helmet of salvation works. It protects our our minds, our thoughts, from the thoughts that the enemy will shoot at us and what the world will throw at us. So we need to apply that helmet. Now, how do we do that? Well, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We are each individually responsible for whether or not we choose to accept the invitation into God's kingdom and then to stay on the path of obedience with his help. A good checklist for progress is Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit, and you can read that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Then ask yourself if they are evident in your life. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The spiritual nature of the church's resources is nowhere more plain than in our reliance on the Word of God, which is the only offensive weapon mentioned in this list of spiritual armor. The Word of God is to be wielded like a sharp two-edged sword and the mighty power of his Holy Spirit. We see that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses, verse 12, where we read, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The all-powerful sword of the living God is able to cut through every defense our enemy can raise down to the very division of bone and marrow. When wielded by a servant of God, nothing can withstand the ability of this sword, the word of God, to cut straight to the core of the matter and uncover the truth. And as soldiers in God's army, it is our responsibility and duty to use his word to discern the truth and then follow it. That's why I keep saying we need to be in the word of God so we can know the truth, so we can follow God's word, follow his truth. And when God's word shows us something wrong within ourselves, then we need to use this spiritual weapon, this sword, to surgically remove that. If there's any offending thoughts or actions, we can remove it with the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, you can read about that there. Unlike all other pieces of the armor of God, which are defensive weaponry, the sword is uniquely suited for both defensive and offensive roles. A solid defense we know is invaluable, but the sword is the only way we can complete the work we've been given to do. The sword, the word of God. And notice when Jesus was tempted by Satan, what did he use? The word of God. So when Satan attacks, counter with the word of God. We must learn to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. Now swords back in those times were used in close combat. They weren't long range warfare like like we see today a lot of the warfare is long range 
But back then they had the swords and they were close to each other fighting. So this implies the nature of the battle of our Christian fight with the enemy. He's right there coming at us. And so we, we got to use that sword to, to cut him, to, to fight back with him, use the word of God. So we apply that by sharpening the sword. And how do we sharpen the sword? By reading the word of God. We have to be intentional to set aside time each and every day to read the word of God. That will sharpen the sword. And we need to have a sharp sword in this fight. If you wonder, well, how do I read the word of God? Do I just open it up and wherever it falls, wherever it opens up at, I read? That That's not the best way to study. There are reading plans out there. You can read the Word of God, the whole Word of God in a year. You can pick a topic and say, hey, I want to learn more about God's love. Or I want to learn more about the grace of God. Pick a topic and read about it in the Word of God. Be in His Word. Study His Word. Meditate on His Word. And we're going to stop right there. Next week, we'll pick up on the third subsection, which is being consistent in prayer. And from there, we're going to look more in depth into each individual piece of weaponry in this full armor of God. We got to end. We got to sign off for the day. I hope this is helping you. I hope you are getting into the Word of God and especially getting into Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Read that, meditate on it, pray on that again this week. And I just want to thank you once again for joining me this morning. And I pray that you have a great rest of the day, a wonderful week coming up. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his face upon you and give you peace.